Heavenly Father, thank you for this day and this opportunity to gather together. Lord, what a beautiful day that you have given to us. This surely is the day you have made. Help us to rejoice and be glad in it, not just because the sun is shining outside, but because your gifts are present to us this day. The gift of forgiveness and new life. The gift of another day in this world and in your kingdom, the kingdom of God. So Lord, may we, as your people, learn and grow in our love for you and those who are around us as we grow in Christ, as the family of God here at Grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So last weekend, we kicked off a three-week sermon series on Vision Quest, looking forward together to the future that God has for us. And as we talked about, well, what does this mean, this idea of vision and God's vision, His purpose for the church, what we said a vision was, especially in a church setting, is it's God's preferred picture for His people that drive us to action or drive us into the future that God wants for us. And so we're not looking at what do we want to be in the future, but we're asking God, God, who do you want us to be? And so we've gone through an upward-onward process. We're continuing through that process as we strategically plan what God has for us next, looking to Him, praying and and studying His Word and having conversations together. But, But out of this, we came up with a mission statement for grace that's going to continue to lead us forward. We introduced that last week. And it's the statement at the top. Would you read that statement with me this morning? Grace is a family growing in Christ while reaching out in love. And we looked at that first part, the family part, that God says we are a family. And that is a very biblical image of what the church is. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are children of the Heavenly Father. I love that song, singing that growing up, children of the Heavenly Father. I did a baptism last weekend, and in the midst of the baptism, I was reminded of those words that we speak together at the end of a baptism when we say, we welcome you into the family of God, so that as our brother or sister in Christ, we might worship Him and serve Him together. We welcome you into the family of God. We see that in baptism, that that we are a family, and God brings us together, and that there is nothing stronger that holds us together than blood. The blood of Jesus Christ. And all of this comes then from this one verse from 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 3, or you can see all three parts of this, the family that is growing in Christ and reaching out in love, all in one verse. Would you read this verse with me? We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly And the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. So you see right away that family aspect there, right? We give thanks for you, brothers and sisters in Christ. For those who are part of the family of God, we give thanks for you. And then it gives the second part. Because your faith is growing abundantly. You are growing in Christ. I love that word abundantly. What that word abundantly means in the scriptures is it actually means to grow to the most extreme limit that you can grow. So that picture would be like that of of a, a child who's blowing up a balloon and they get to the point where you have to tell them, stop blowing that balloon up because if you blow one more time into that balloon, that thing is going to burst. 
You ever say that to a child before? I know I've said that to my children before. Like, like stop, that balloon is big enough. It has reached its limit. That's what that word abundantly means. It says, it says you have grown to the extreme limit. Like there, there's no further growth. And, and that's what God calls us to, to grow to the extreme limit of our faith in Jesus Christ. The problem is, is that we struggle with what does that look like? So as we talk about that this morning, as we talk about what it means to grow in Christ, and not just grow, but to grow abundantly to the extreme limit, I want us to think about just in our everyday life, that what are some of the things that have caused us to grow? Because all of us grow in different ways, and all of us have grown in different things in our life. Some of us grew very athletically. Some of us grew very academically. We have grown in our relationships. We have, have grown in our understanding of certain things. We have grown in our faith. And when you went through periods of growth in your life, in, in whatever area that was, what are some of the things that helped you grow? Because there are also some things that do the exact opposite of helping us grow, are there not? There are things that stunt us from growing. When I was a sophomore in high school, some of you have heard me say this before, uh, as a sophomore in high school, I was 4 foot 11 and I was 80 pounds. As a sophomore in high school, right? Like that, that is not normal. And it wasn't. In fact, between my sophomore year and my junior and senior year, I almost grew a foot. And I believe that the reason that I was 4'11 and 80 pounds as a sophomore in high school is that growing up from the time I was in third grade, I wrestled. And I, I was all in for wrestling. And by all in for wrestling, it means that, that every year I would diet to lose 10 to 15 pounds, at least 10 to 15 pounds, so I could be at the lowest possible weight class I could ever make so that I would be the biggest and strongest person in the weight class. Because for me, all that mattered was doing whatever it took to win. And so I dieted in very unhealthy ways to the degree where we actually have no pictures of my eighth grade confirmation because my parents wouldn't buy them. Because uh, when they took the picture and my parents saw the proofs of them, I literally looked like a skeleton. They're like, we are not taking, we're not buying pictures of that, right? But to me, it didn't bother me because I wanted to win, right? But what I believe that I did was I stunted my ability to grow by dieting in unhealthy ways so that I could win. I stunted my growth. And I wonder if there are ways in which you and I as Christians don't stunt the growth that God would have for us in our life. Barna, a research group talking to Christians, asked them this question. It says, says, have you made progress in your spiritual growth in the past year? And this was in 2017, just about a year and a half ago they took this survey. and said, have you made pro positive, strong spiritual growth in the past year? 40% of practicing Christians said a lot. Only 40%. And by practicing Christians, uh, they defined that as those who were attending church at least three times a month. And we know that the average Christian attends church about 1.4 times a month, not three. And so those who are the most dedicated to going to worship, the most dedicated to their spiritual faith in life, only 40% of them said, I've made any sort of significant spiritual growth in the past year. And 51%, only I've made some. So what's holding us back? What are the things in our life 
that are helping us to grow abundantly and what are the things that are stunting, stopping, and strangling the growth that God would have for us. And we're going to look at that today as we talk about what it means to grow in Christ in the words of the, uh, the parable that Jesus teaches us in Matthew chapter 13. Matthew 13. If you want to follow along this morning, you can find it on page 818, page 818 in the Bibles in front of you. Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 1. Now, the interesting thing about this, if you look at Matthew 13, starting in verse 1, you will see the parable through verse 8. But then if you jump down to verse 18, which is on the other column in the Bible in front of you, it actually explains the parable of the sower and the seed. So what I'm going to do this morning is as I put some of these words up on the screen for you, you can follow along in your Bible and then on the screen as well, is, is I'm actually going to put the, the portion of the parable that describes one of the four soils and then underneath it I'm going to put Jesus' explanation of it so you can see how they match up. Starting in verse 1. It says, That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered around Jesus, so he got into the boat and he sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach. And Jesus told them many things in parables. He, he uses what's called a parable. It's a, a worldly picture of a heavenly reality, a spiritual reality. And so he gives them this picture of a farmer who's planting seeds, something that they would normally see in their everyday life. And in fact, something here we in Wisconsin would understand very well, right? Agriculture, the planting of seeds and the growing of crops and, and things like that. Now what's going to be very clear in this is that, so we're gonna see one thing that changes that allows or holds back the growth of the seed. But as we read this, understand this. What Jesus is not saying in this passage is that there are, there are some people who are more worthy of the seed and some people who are less worthy of the seed. That there are some people who are good enough and there are some people who are not. Because when we understand Scripture, we all understand that none of us are worthy of the seed. None of us deserve that seed of faith in our life. That seed is a gift of God's grace, that we are all equally sinful. Both Christians and non-Christians, believers and those who do not believe in Jesus, are equally and unequally worthy of the seed being planted in their life because we are all sinful and the wages of each of our sin is death. So Jesus is not making the point that some of you are more worthy than others. It's not what he is going to be saying. But as he teaches his parable, here's what he says. The very first soil, starting in verse 3. And so he said, a sower went out to, to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell among the path, and the birds came and devoured them. And so then if you jump down to verse 18, he explains what he's saying about that first soil type. He says, so then hearing the parable of the sower, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. So we see actually the first part that the sower comes along and sows the seed. Now, he's not really focusing on the sower. That's not really the important part. And the seed we come to understand both in here, and, and this is a parable that's also told in Mark and in Luke, the seed is the word of God, the word of the gospel, the word of the kingdom of God. And we're going to see that all four soil types have three things in common. They all have the same sower, 
They all have the same seed, and they all hear the Word of God. None of that changes. So there is one thing that changes, but none of those three things change. They all have the one who shares the gospel, they all have the gospel, and they all hear the gospel. But notice for this first one, who is sown on the path, meaning there's no soil at all that is present there. It says, it says it just sat on top of it, and so the birds come along and they devour it. Kind of like for those of you who, who love going out and throwing bread for birds, and they just come up and they just, just really, they grab that bread right away and there's nothing holding it back. It's like saying there was no root to the seed, none at all, and so that seed was just easy pickings. Why? Because they didn't understand it. What that word understand means in the scripture is, is to believe and to be aligned with it. To believe in such a way that it radically changes your life to be in alignment with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, it's not saying that you're in alignment, meaning your life is perfect or, or you're living in a perfect way as a Christian because none of us are perfect. What it's saying is you believe in such a way that that becomes the core of and begins to take root in your life to change your life. It is saying that this seed on the rocky path didn't have any root to it. It didn't take up root in that person's life. So the second soil, starting in verse 5. Jesus said, so other seeds fell on the rocky ground where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. And so jumping to verse 20, Jesus now explains what that means. He says, so as for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with great joy. But he has no root in himself but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. Now this was a very normal soil type in Israel at this time, where they would look, it would look like there was, was a great, rich, good soil on the top, but in many parts of Israel there is a, a limestone bed that lies just below the surface of the soil. So if you plant your seed in it, you think it's going to take root, you think you're going to have crops, you think you're going to have a harvest, but instead, that root has nowhere to go. And because the root has nowhere to go, it can't grow strong because it can't root itself and get the nourishment it needs. And so he's saying that there is some seed that goes into a soil that has no depth to it, so that when trials and tribulations and questions come up, those things begin to kill the faith that would be planted by the Holy Spirit in our lives. That there's an immaturity that stunts the growth of faith that God would place in our life. And he says what happens when we don't have that depth, when, when our root system doesn't grow to be strong enough to hold that faith in place, that when we are attacked, and these are external attacks, that that faith doesn't stand strong. And notice he says there are two types of external attacks. There's tribulations. So when we struggle with, with the loss of a job or the loss of a loved one or a very difficult medical diagnosis or, or we deal with financial distress and we start crying out, God, why would you do this to me? Why would you do this to my wife? Why would you do this to my children? Why would you do this to my parents? Why would you do this to my life? In the midst of that questioning, if we have no root system, it is easy for that faith to be uprooted because the struggles and the tribulations of life scorch our faith. And we allow it to kill it. 
The second type that does it, it says, is the persecutions that arise. The persecutions we see in the world. Many times I see this with, with our students who go off to college. They go off to college, and at college, they have all sorts of, of professors and all sorts of uh, friends and peers at that university that will start to question what they believe. Well, why do you believe this? Why would you value that? That's not what we value. Why do you believe that marriage is one man and one woman? Why do you believe that God created us male and female and that's what he says we are? Why would you believe that that life begins at conception and and that that child should be valued even inside the mother? Like, why would you believe those things? That's not what we believe in the culture today or medical advancements should tell us differently or, or our logic should tell us differently and we are faced with these persecutions and these questions that many times we feel like we don't have answers to. Now, first of all, I need to say this, that the questions are not the problem. Because there are always going to be questions. There always were questions to the faith. The, the, The struggle and the problem is not the questions. In fact, God is not and never will be afraid of any questions that this world will ever levy against him or his word. He's not. Because God has the answers. He's God. What he's saying is we need to be prepared to have those answers or to have the depth of faith that stands up underneath it saying, I may not know the answer to it, but I know where I can go to find the answer to it. But what this seed has a struggle with is is it doesn't have that depth of faith. It hasn't grown to the degree where it can stand up underneath the questions and the struggles and the trials of life. And so those persecutions and those tribulations kill that faith. The third type of soil, verse 7. It says, other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it. Verse 22 explains that and says, so as for what was sown among the thorns, Jesus said, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfaithful. And notice it says that, that it grows up. In fact, it must have grown to the degree where they would have said, well, this plant must be producing fruit because it says, well, it proves itself unfruitful. So they must have looked for the fruit and said, there should be fruit, but there's no fruit. Why is there no fruit to this plant that has grown to such a degree that it should have fruit? And it's because the thorns that are around it begin to choke it out. Well, what are the thorns? It says the thorns are the cares and the deceitfulness of riches that choke the word. Meaning, whereas the previous soil, it was the external attacks that come against us, this one, the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, we internally allow the riches and the cares of this world to choke out the faith that has been planted inside of us. We say things like, I love God, I love his word, I love worship, I love the gifts that God gives us, but then we start to give ourselves over to the busyness of our schedule or the deceitfulness of of caring most about, about promotions and our jobs and our work and all the other things this world would have. We have dreams for our children that allow us to value sports and athletics over the gifts that God gives us or, or academics and, and our children's growth as, as students over the gifts that God gives us. And, and all of a sudden, we go from valuing worship and the growth that God gives to us in His Word and His gifts, and we give that up for the sake of what we desire most from this world. 
And he says, when we do that, when we give up the word of God for what we want out of this world, we allow the thorns that are growing all around us to choke out the faith that God has planted in us. And it strangles our faith. And one of the questions that you and I need to ask is have we removed the things in our life that stop, stunt, or strangle our faith? Have you removed from your life those struggles, those tribulations, those difficulties, those questions, those cares, those desires, those ambitions that would stop, stunt, or strangle your faith? Because when those are removed, we hear what happens. The fourth soil type. But it says in verse 8, Other seeds fell on the good soil, and it produced grain. Some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. And then Jesus explains, he says, So as for what was sown on the good soil, this is the one who hears the word of God and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixteen, in another thirty. No, he says in all of the others, it wasn't the problem of hearing. They all heard. The struggle was in all of the other cases they heard, but they didn't understand. And they allowed the things of this world to choke out the faith that God would plant in their hearts and grow in their lives by the power of the Holy Spirit. He says, but those who are planted in good soil, they don't just hear it, but they understand it. It's that moment empowered by the Holy Spirit where, where they go, I got it. I see it. I understand it. It's the aha moment. Right, have you ever had one of those aha moments? Some of you know what that's like when you, when you were sitting in math class or, or in some science class, right? And you're sitting there, you're like, I have no clue what this guy is saying up front. But then he just says it or she says it in just such a way that at that moment you're like, oh, now I get it. Now, now I understand. This is what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. When through the power of the Holy Spirit, He brings an understanding that allows us to stand up underneath the struggles and the trials and the difficulties and all of the persecutions that are all around us. See, it's the same seed. It's the same sower. It's the same hearing. But what is different? The environment of the soil is different, isn't it? You see, the right growth requires the right environment. It needed the right depth of soil so it could grow. And that's what God calls us to as well. To have the right environment in our life so that God's seed, His Word, can take root in our life. And the Holy Spirit, through the gifts that God gives to us in His Word and in His sacraments, that He can use those things to grow that faith in our life in a way that it is able to stand up underneath the struggles and the difficulties and the persecutions of life. In fact, I believe there's three areas where God does this. He does it in the areas of the right environments of education, expertise, and experience. Meaning, he does it with the right content. He engages us with the right content. That education that comes from, from having the right source material, and that source material is the Word of God. That we are educated in the Word of God, that we read it, and we understand it, and we spend time in it. And not just once a week or, or every once in a while when we pick it up, but that we are daily in the Word of God. 
Daily being educated by the Holy Spirit in God's will for our life. And the second one is expertise. It means that we're learning from the right people. We're engaged in learning from the right people. Engaged in being in Bible studies. Engaged in being small groups. Engaged in places where we can learn from others who have gone before us or, or continue to study God's word. Which is why we continue to offer Bible studies here at Grace. Bible studies that take place on Sunday morning at 9.30, just down the hallway. Bible studies that take place like this past year on Sunday evening from Brad Alice or, or when we have a creation society that comes in and, and, and teaches and speaks on what is going on in God's world as it relates to creation and, and Genesis. Why we have teachers in our day school classroom who are teaching the Word of God. So that our students might have that expertise. Why we have jam teachers and thrive teachers and Sunday night high school youth teachers. So that our youth are surrounded with, with leaders who can speak into their lives the word of God. And then the final one is experience. So that we are engaged in the right experiences. Experiences where we go out and serve. Experiences where, where as we're going through our lives, we might ask God, God, what are you teaching me in this moment? And how are you growing me? In the midst of the difficulties of life, what are you doing in my life? Because when we want our children to grow in a certain way, we put them in certain environments, don't we? So that they can get the best growth. Like I know all sorts of parents who, who when they want their children to grow as athletes, they, they will put them in the right clubs, with the right coaches, and the right experiences. Education, expertise, and experience. And so it is for our life in Christ. That God gives us the right environments so that we might have spiritual growth, not in ourselves, but in the Word of God as God seeks to grow us as a family. But part of the struggle is we're not always engaged with these things. Barna, I shared this before, did a study, and as it went further into the study, it asked Christians, saying, how many of you are engaged in the Bible? And just look at that top line. I just want you to, to even just focus on that top line. It says, of all U.S. adults, only 18% are really Bible engaged, meaning in the Word of God on any sort of a regular basis, 18%. It said that 38% were Bible-friendly, 27% Bible neutral and 18% were Bible skeptical. 18% were engaged and 18% were skeptical, an equal number. Like if we're not growing, the reason oftentimes we are not growing is because we are not allowing the things that God gives to us in our life to give us that growth that is necessary for us. I thought it was also interesting and in how appropriate on Mother's Day weekend to, to show this, that Barna went further and then it said, so who is it that encourages this spiritual growth? And in fact, it was uh, researching Generation Z and children in the world today and says, says of those who encourage people, our Generation Z, our youngest generation to go to church, notice the percent that was the mother, almost 100%. That the mother has become the most spiritually influential person in a child's life today. How significant that is. And what an amazing gift women of faith are to the church and to their families. But fathers are too. Notice uh, the third one is the father. And fathers were almost at 80%. That is so significant. 
Or if you jump down to, to teach us the Bible or teaches me about God's forgiveness, you still see how powerfully influential women of faith are and the men of faith are in the lives of our youth today. That we are a part of what God is doing to spiritually grow our children. In fact, if you want to see how important families are, it says, who is responsible for child, the child's spiritual formation and development? Most of the time we would think, well, the church is. But when they did the research, it said 99% said it was parents and family as the number one most influential person in a child's life. And then 92% said the church. It's families. Families that are growing in Christ together. That is what is most significantly and spiritually influential in the lives of God's people. And that's what we seek to do here at Grace. And if the extent of our growth in our faith is a Sunday morning experience, then we will silo off our spirituality to a Sunday experience only. But if we understand that our spiritual growth doesn't just take place for an hour on Sunday mornings, but it takes place in the evenings when we pick up the Bible and we read it, or in the mornings when we pray, or in, throughout the week when we have conversations, spiritual conversations with brothers and sisters in Christ, it is then that we will understand that God plants that seed of faith in us and then grows that seed of faith through the experiences, through the expertise, and through the education that he gives us through his word and the gifts that God places us in our life. And as we continue to move forward here at Grace as the family of faith, that's what we want to invest in. And we're going to look at where is God giving that spiritual growth. And we want to invest in those places because that is where we believe that God is creating the most fertile spiritual soil in our church for the sake of the building of his kingdom, both here and throughout the world. So that we, here at Grace, may be known as a family that is constantly growing in Christ so that we might be the good soil that produces the 100 and the 60 and the 30-fold fruits, not for our sake, but for the sake of the people who are around us who are able to enjoy that fruit as we as the family of faith grow in Christ for the building of the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name, amen.